Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers where we have all of the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. Welcome to episode 91, really pushing up against that 100, which is going to be major cause for celebration. This episode is a solo and I'm hoping everything sounds okay and the video looks okay. I'm using a new tool that I'll share more about if I end up sticking with it. For this particular episode, which is my first solo episode in a really long time, I really felt it's important to be seen as well as heard so that you know I'm here in in my office with lights, cameras, and action. And I just, I'll give a little bit of a backdrop and then we'll jump into today's big topic, which is a response article I wrote and the ensuing conversations about the blockbuster show, Nine Perfect Strangers. Nine Perfect Strangers, if you haven't heard of it, it is a drama, satire, I think it's turning into a thriller based on what I see, but it's airing on Amazon Prime Video in Canada, where I live, Hulu in the United States, and I'm not sure the rest of the world, but a a simple Google will take you there, obviously, if you become interested. And I was... uh, on vacation. I'm very grateful to have been able to travel to Vancouver to spend some time with friends and in a more temperate climate than here in Toronto when it aired. And it had caught my attention via a trailer, which you'll hear more about in a moment when I start reading this article. But it really touched on a huge event in my life. Many of you are probably here listening to the podcast because of that event or perhaps having seen or heard me in uh, the Wondery podcast guru, The Dark Side of Enlightenment, and uh, the documentary Enlighten Us. Now, I don't like the idea of this particular event in my life defining me as a whole, but I am aware that it's a big part of my public presence. And uh, increasingly, as the podcast morphs into reflection of my current journey into exploring some of the deeper parts of that experience, which have included, much to my surprise, cult dynamics and indoctrination. It's a whole new subject and category here on the podcast. And it's one that seems to be resonating. It certainly has stoked my curiosity and is opening all kinds of relationships and doors, which I'll I'll share as we move forward. But I'm keenly aware that the last several episodes in this topic area are resonating because they are in line with current events. Nothing is changing in that regard, but much to my surprise, I and my fellow participants, both living and deceased in the fatal Sedona Sweat Lodge, parachuted in to Nine Perfect Strangers. And over the course of the years, the experience of being represented, misrepresented, characterized, explored, examined, in the news, in documentaries, and investigative pieces, has left me with, um, I want to say mixed feelings, but they're not mixed. They're very, it's a very challenging thing to do because when you go and sit down for an interview or end up in a televised trial like I did, you have, I, you, I have no control over what happens in the editing process, what happens to footage. And I just made a decision five or six years ago that I would remain public and visible about my involvement because I care very deeply about the self-help industry. I care about people 
living happier and healthier lives. I care about mental health and wellness. And, and I would never want anyone to live through what me and my peers live through or worse, not to make it through. We're going to start with the article, I think, based on the response that it's received online. I think it does a decent job of as a response. It took many days to write. And, uh, and so enjoy. If you've already read it, I hope you enjoy hearing it in my voice. And then I'm going to share with you some of the responses that it has received uh, and where we're going to go from here. So the title of the article is Nine Perfect Strangers Made Me a Punchline and Now I'm Punching Back. Survivor of That Sweat Lodge stands up for survivors of all bad gurus. From the moment the algorithm hoisted the trailer for Nine Perfect Strangers into my YouTube feed, I knew I'd watch the show. The trailer had all the elements to capture my interest. Stunning landscape visuals, beautiful architecture, an A-list cast, and a bad guru, all courtesy of the team that broke through my early pandemic haze with Big Little Lies. The night the first three episodes released to Canadians on Amazon, I was vacationing in Vancouver. It was Friday night. I was out for dinner with a friend I've known since childhood at a patio overlooking the ocean. My phone was set aside on the table, face down to limit distraction, but I hadn't silenced my watch. It vibrated on my wrist, drawing my attention to a text notification from another friend at home in Toronto. It was odd. She was three time zones ahead and didn't usually text me late at night. Turning over my phone, I apologized for the interruption and checked that nothing urgent was going on. Hey, just watching the first episode of Nine Perfect Strangers, big hoopla with Nicole Kidman, Melissa Carthy, David E. Kelly. First five minutes in, they met to remember those people in that sweat lodge. It stopped me in my tracks and I had to message you. My heart seized and my gut wrenched. It was a visceral and familiar reaction. I reminded myself to breathe as my heart began to pound in my chest. My throat constricted and my spine tightened to a coil, ready to spring up from the table to fend off an attack. I mustered just one word. I tapped it into my phone to my friend 3,000 miles away. Fuckers. Because I am one of those people in that sweat lodge, except I did not die. I remember thinking Nine Perfect Strangers would be something I should be familiar with, but felt no urgency when I saw the trailer. I planned to watch the first three episodes on the plane or when I returned home. I was unfamiliar with the story and the book, but my curiosity had been piqued by the cast and subject matter. Nicole Kidman as a bad guru and a flash of a low dome structure suggesting a sweat lodge had caught my eye. Yet here it was, intruding on an idyllic moment in the form of a protective warning from a friend. Fending off attacks in the form of insults is par for the course as a survivor of the Sedona Sweat Lodge, an ill-fated, culturally appropriated ritual that killed three people at a retreat I attended in October 2009. The thing that triggers my anger is how misunderstood the participants are. Since I have become the symbolic survivor, it strikes hard and fast when the attack comes from people and systems with more power and resources than I do. 
They shape the narrative for their own purposes and who the participants are as a result. After the trial and sentencing of the guru, the new cycle carried on and I became one of the shaved head cult members who spent so much time fending off judgment and opinions from others that I could hardly get off the couch. I continually had to defend that I, the fact that I was even at such a freakish event. To see David E. Kelly and other creators repeat the same pattern of shame and ridicule of victims with this one single line is the most pejorative and reductive treatment to date. Instead of dismissing us, someone needs to do a compassionate portrayal of this story because the toxic dynamic of false leaders and the seekers they indoctrinate is alive and well today, and it is killing people. As a real survivor, I am someone who's been trying to do that. When I returned to my hotel room, I poured myself a glass of wine and took a deep breath. It was late, but I knew better than to delude myself that I'd sleep without seeing it. I opened my laptop and logged into Amazon, reassuring myself, it's just five minutes in. Remember to breathe. I pressed play, inhaling through my nose and exhaling slowly through my mouth as the opening sequence unfolded. The credits rolled. I took in the big Hollywood names, Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, David E. Kelly. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The stunning visuals started to pull me in. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. I watched as the main characters were introduced, driving to Tranquillum House, the luxury resort where they will attend a 10-day wellness retreat led by the still-unseen guru. Breathe in, breathe out. Enter Melissa McCarthy as Francis, a novelist in the midst of menopause, heartbreak, and career crisis. Francis is on speakerphone as she drives through a pastoral Australian landscape, packaged to look like California. Francis's conversation gives context to her troubles. She wraps up quickly, to pick up an incoming call from her agent, Marty, hopeful for good news from her publisher about her latest manuscript. Francis, artificially upbeat. Hey there, how's the book biz going today? Disembodied Marty, straining. Whoa, you just sound so upbeat. Francis, still faking upbeat. I'm on my way to that health retreat I told you about. I'm just trying to put myself in a positive state of mind. Marty, authoritative, cynical. Yeah, well, remember those people who died in that sweat lodge? They thought they were being enlightened, and in reality, they were being cooked. Francis, now justifying. It's nothing like that. This place looks amazing. The conversation turns to business and the rejected manuscript. Francis's downward spiral resumes. Knowing the line was coming did little to soften its blow. It packed a punch as it reduced unimaginable pain and near insurmountable grief into just 24 words. I played it back a few times, attempting to determine if the intention behind it was as harsh as my friend and I were receiving it. To be fair, the line is exactly what someone would say to a friend. The question is, why are they saying it? To dissuade? To demean? or out of genuine concern. 
of course, everyone responds. It's nothing like that. And I'm not like them when it's exactly like that. And they are exactly like us. Once I acclimated with more breathing, I proceeded to watch all three initial episodes. It became a late night, definitely not what I thought I would be doing. I was drawn into the show, but beyond its entertainment value, I couldn't help but notice some very real and familiar dynamics that actually happened to me. Not sharing the retreat agenda ahead of time, food deprivation, pursuit of altered states, the secretive guru with a past, and believe it or not, a stone sweat lodge. Other more subtle tactics were also present, including manipulation through fear of missing out. When I returned home two days later, the line was still bugging me. I went to the novel to see if it was treated the same way as in the script. I seriously needed to know who to be pissed at. Turns out the line is in the novel by Leanne Moriarty. The context is slightly different, and there's one simple yet significant alteration. On the page it reads, remember those poor people who died in that sweat lodge. Poor. The only word that might hint at pity, empathy, or sympathy has been removed from the screenplay. Those people. Those poor people who died. That sweat lodged. To be a survivor of the Sedona sweat lodge is to be minimized if not overlooked. Survivorship has earned me a place in a weird kind of limbo between life, death, and a plot point in other people's projects. They use survivor's desire to share our lived experience for entertainment and profit. There's been a documentary movie, Enlighten Us, in 2016, and an episodic podcast, Guru, in 2020. None have centered on the experience of the survivors. Nine Perfect Strangers' tone-deaf and tasteless line is the most reductive treatment to date. For the sake of a convenient piece of foreshadowing, it feels like we've become a punchline. And being your punchline hurts. As with any of life's scrapes or bruises, I have little choice but to pick myself up and dust off. The only way I know how to move forward is to share what I would like to see done differently and why. So to all future creators who are inspired, to do work on this topic. Number one, if you can't find empathy for those affected, at least stop referring to us like we are idiots. Contrary to popular belief, no one actually thought we were going into a heated dome structure to be quote-unquote enlightened. That's as ridiculous as it is impossible, and it's conjecture. I can't speak for the dead or my fellow survivors, but I thought I was participating in a ceremony of renewal to close out a week of inner work. Then I was expecting to return to my relatively pre-sweat lodge life, and obviously neither of those two things happened. Number two, include this incident in your content and context. It's uncomfortable to deal with the fallout, but keeping this event swept under the carpet is not good for anyone. As Nine Perfect Stranger demonstrates in its dramatic and parodic way, some dynamics that led to the tragedy in Sedona exist today in fact, fiction, and increasingly in society at large. Number three, make room for the stories of the survivors in your projects. Become curious about what it was like to survive. The three people who died are Kirby Brown, Liz Newman, and James Shore. It's important you know who they are. 
It's also important you know that there are survivors like me who are willing to speak up about lessons and life since that unforgettable day. And I'm just going to leave the article for a moment here to highlight Brandy Amstel and Julie Min, both of whom have two episodes on this podcast and they are well worth listening to. So back to the article. Number four, if you must punch, focus on the responsible party. Lay off punching the victims and shift your focus towards the people who deserve it, the shit gurus. Instead of mocking or pitying us or seekers in general, approach the topic with more awareness. As an example, the line could have been written, remember that self-help guru who thought he was helping people, but in reality, he cooked them to death? Rewritten this way, the target is where it belongs instead of on those of us whose greatest fault is that we trusted. Unless you actually mean to take the cheap shot, in which case, to lift another line out of the show, fuck off. Number five, don't sensationalize the facts. They don't need it. Do the research and you will find facts that are stranger than fiction. It's a lot to sort through, but others, including me, have made a solid start. While I'm at it, please consider dropping the word cook in all its synonyms. The facts, like I said, the facts are shocking enough without embellishment. Well, Cook hits the sensational note you're looking for. It's harsh and insensitive to the victims and the people who love us. If that's too much to ask, know that at your worst, your words can never touch the pain of the actual experience. Number six, apply pressure on powerful people in government and at the helm of the self-help, coaching, and wellness industries. Three people died in a sweat lodge at a self-help retreat 12 years ago. There have been other incidents since, including last month when a 32-year-old woman collapsed at a life coaching session targeting mental demons by evoking past trauma. She died two days later. Throughout the pandemic, conspiracy thinking with roots in white supremacy has proliferated through the self-help, coaching, and wellness industries. Toxic gurus are using their influence to convince their trusting community members that they are too conscious and superior for vaccines. They are prolonging the pandemic and killing people as they spread disinformation. This toxic and deadly dynamic is happening without recourse because the self-help coaching and wellness industries remain unregulated. I understand this could all seem like much ado about nothing. The line is inconsequential to the show. However, it's consequential to me. As I took inventory of my response to 24 words beginning, remember those people, I did what I've done for too long. I tried to rationalize and convince myself that any mention of the story is better than obscurity, that the significance of the event might actually be making its way into our cultural lexicon. But the show and the novel before it is a work of fiction. Unless the viewer is already familiar with what happened in real life, the brief reference is likely to fly past as similar fiction. Since that's the case, four episodes in, and actually now five episodes in, I'm wondering what really is the point. The treatment of this line in a high A-list show re reflects larger problems that need to be addressed. 
Creators, showrunners, and journalists can meet the moment of the times. This moment where people who have been victimized and traumatized are no longer subjects of ridicule. And me, I'll keep going with my podcast and writing, starting with a series on the dangerous dynamics I see embedded in a bit of entertainment called Nine Perfect Strangers, and how we have all climbed into a metaphorical sweat lodge, otherwise known as COVID-19, with deadly gurus and unethical wellness influencers using their charisma for profit, prolonging the pandemic. This time, the consequences aren't limited to a small group of people in the middle of the desert. This time, it's affecting us all. So, here we are. It was, just take a moment. Normally, I don't read during the podcast because it feels, feels less like I'm talking directly with you. Like I said, it took days and days to write. Fortunately, I had some really good support. I released it on the Friday of Labor Day weekend. And if you're watching the video, you're going to see I have my uh, shit-disturbing grin on right now. <laughs> so I felt it was important to get it out before Nine Perfect Strangers was finished. And I released it on the Friday of uh, Labor Day weekend because Nine Perfect Strangers airs on Fridays on Amazon Prime. They re they're releasing one new episode for the next few weeks. And before I launch into anyone's responses here and some of the energy around this, I do want to share, I'm not, I didn't write the article to dissuade anyone from watching it. In fact, my husband and I are still watching it and it is, enter it's entertaining. It's no big little lies. I will say that, but that's a whole other thing that is far outside the scope of this podcast. And I've got some critique around some of it, but Ironically, one of the, the characters that I'm enjoying the most are Francis. And it wasn't Francis's line, but it was her scene that it dropped in. But uh, Melissa McCarthy is so endearing. And I haven't seen a lot of her stuff. And obviously, I know her more as a comedian. But boy, does she know how to hit a dramatic note. And, uh, and I'm, yeah. And maybe it's because of age and stage. I don't know. But I'm identifying with Francis the most at this point. Anyhow, so I dropped the article on my personal Facebook, thinking that was the place to, to start, especially since it was a long weekend. I figured it would be pretty quiet. The weather's great and it's everyone's getting their last bits of official summer in before school starts, whatever form that's taking. And, and because my personal Facebook, you know, it's a public post, but it's people who, a lot of people who actually know me. So off it went. And, and then Instagram. And because I've received so much support from Wolf Terry, our, these are my past, our, our past guests here. Wolf Terry, Shulamit Berlevtov, Yanya Lalich. Ever since I shifted the content, I don't if, know if you realize it was as intentional as it was, but the pivot really started happening 10 episodes ago with my conversation with Nathaniel Garrett Novosel. It became a big conversation about ethics. And that's when the pandemic and politics and vaccination ethics um, started to enter into the conversation with this big focus on ethics, which has been occupying a lot of my energy and intention since then to understand that life is more than about mining yourself for growth and 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 experience it is really about how we connect with each other and in this time of disconnection we've been connecting through 
social media, through podcasts and so forth. And I'm becoming aware of some of my own indoctrination as these dynamics have been playing out in society. I went quiet on social media. I, I didn't want to share. I was not ready to share. I needed to do what is healthy when you're excavating your psyche. And that's like, talk to some experts and keep that shit off social media. Clearly, I've reached a moment a little while ago where I don't need to keep it off of social media anymore, but it took some sorting. So back to Instagram and these past guests. I'll also mention Ada Piaderico. You're going to hear from her in a, in a moment, and by the way, of a, a comment that just happened moments before I press record here. So all of these people commenting, and it is really the first time in public that there's been any discussion about any of these issues with me. And it is as gratifying as it is healing and encouraging and motivating. So I want to read off some of these, these comments to you. And they are public. Just I think I will just use people's first names, but you can find them if you want. So from Steve, great article, Laura. I really appreciate how you brought attention to an issue of men that many don't think about or see, but is both important, especially timely in the midst of, the, of COVID-19 here. Thank you for your vulnerability and the depth of thought and effort you gave to this. So that's the only great article comment that I'm going to read. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. I really do love writing. And that's the first time I've labored over something like that in a very long time and certainly is not going to be the last. From my friend, Laura, the friend in the article. I am the friend in the article. I'm so shocked and had an immediate reaction. Imagine being part of a retreat led by someone who had been sanctioned by Oprah during the rise of the popular published book, The Secret. Someone as popular as Tony Robbins. What could go wrong? To see my friend be reduced to a one-liner by Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, David Kelly, in such a high-profile show with such lack of empathy or respect for its victims disgusts me. She's very protective of me. And at times I have, have needed it. Um, Jennifer. Although I wasn't there, I had attended my first event with him earlier that year and knew many of those involved. Reading that line, let alone hearing it, was a shock to me, and I'm simply on the fringe of connection. I can imagine that it brought you right back to that space. I'm so sorry. Thank you for writing and sharing your experience. Diane, who's local here. Wow, Laura, I had no idea you experienced that in 2009. This must have been hard to swallow. I haven't watched the series but have done a few similar retreats in the past. Sorry you had to experience that in 2009 and again now. And I'm just going to add to this. So Diane is somebody who I would have thought knew for sure. And it's one of those things. You never know when people don't. And that's added layers of complexity, especially back when I was still so deeply shamed by my involvement. Fun thing is, or funny in, in a twisted kind of way, is Diane, somebody went on to recommend to her that if she wanted to know more, to listen to Wondery's guru, The Dark Side of Enlightenment, she sent me a message. She's like, oh my God, you're in that too. <laughs> I had no idea. And it, it reminded me that last year, I wrote this back to her in some of our, our mess direct messages. When Wondery's guru podcast came out last night here, it was July 1st. It was my husband's birthday. It was Canada Day. I was in the middle of that horrendous eye infection. I was feeling sick. I was looking to, like somebody had beaten me up. And I was just in no shape to do anything. 
And all the folks at Wondery had brought me into Zoom calls about all this media that was going to happen around it to prep up for this and that, the other thing. And then nothing happened um, because I think either they got sick of me and I uh, knew that I was maybe a little bit more boisterous than <laughs> they wanted. And quite realistically, no news outlets at that time wanted anything to do with anything that wasn't about the pandemic. So nothing happened media-wise. However, I just saw in my uh, Google alerts that come in that the podcast was, I'd forgotten that the podcast was at number one around the world for like days and days. And I think it's even accurate to say weeks. I'd forgotten that so many people listen to that thing. And I do intend to re-listen to him sometime soon, probably after a series on Nine Perfect Strangers. But back to some of these comments. I'll jump through here. I think this one's really relevant for people who are curious about the various aspects of, of, the, of the experience. And, and this is from a woman who was not at Spiritual Warrior where the sweat lodge took place that, that year. She'd probably done it in previous years. Don't know for sure. But it's so heartening to see people from that broader community willing to engage with this online. But what she had to say, there was a bit of an exchange here. So back and forth between Julia and me. I never saw James as a guru. He was just a guy who gave seminars and it all turned to shit when his success went to his head. So my response to that was, yeah, me either. But try explaining that when the whole game is to become a rock star guru. Oh, wait, I just did. Seriously, though, you know that, and I know that, and others know that, and I've said it many times with a microphone pointed at me, but up to this point, no one has cared to focus on that much nuance. It's coming, though. I can feel it. And her response to me was, yes, you are so right. Love your article. The next comment that came in from Aaron. I was there, too, with you. I had no idea this was a thing. I also see our experiences post-lodge were different. No one knew I was there. I had to tell people. When reading about your experiences, I recognize you dealt with trauma and scrutiny in ways that I never did. So I responded to him, thank you. I've thought of you often over the years as with everyone else who is there. And yes, it's a thing, but never with this large of an audience before. And I thank you for acknowledging that it was at the near dawn of the internet, but there was enough out there that it followed me around online like a pet smell during years when it would have been easier that it hadn't. All because of the trial, but positive things have come of it too. I shed a bunch of judgmental people from my life, have so many more interesting relationships with people I've met, and I've got a podcast that I love as a result. But I wish people like the creators of Nine Perfect Strangers would stop being assholes about it. That would be nice. The next comment was drawing parallels into the pressure cooker of today's COVID-19 gurus is totally accurate and alarming. There is so much more here and I'm a little concerned that it's going on. I, I guess what I'm going to do here is close off with a couple that are short but poignant. One from Julie Min, who I mentioned earlier. It's relatively easy to judge. It doesn't require a lot of thought or heart. It takes more time and effort to understand. It takes a more life-experienced person to have compassion. Thank you, Laura, for standing up for those of us who have known judgment and even ridicule for having lived through the sweat lodge. 
Thank you for being brave and personalizing our story. Love you, my friend. So, like I said, lots of great relationships and wonderful people. And on some days, still, that's what keeps me going. So I'm going to move towards a clothe with some of the previous guests who have written. From Dr. Yanya Lalich. And uh, you'll recognize her from episode, I think it's 87. So just a few back. Her episode is called When Self-Help Turns Cult. I haven't watched the show and wasn't really inclined to for the very reason you are exposing. The media exploitation of survivors' trauma is unconscionable. I know you, Laura, and some of what you've been through and the most empathetic and humane way you are tackling educating others. I am so sorry. Kidman, as, as a former Scientologist, should know better. I hadn't even thought of that, and I absolutely agree. And then one last one, even though there's more, we, this can't go on forever. Goodness, there's so many great comments here, and I've lost my last page. This is almost like we're doing it live. Where's page seven? Oh, it's from Adipia Derrico, and I must have thrown it out. What a goof. So I'll just editorialize. I've read it once and I grabbed it. Adipia was fully empathetic to being mischaracterized online, which is something that she has experienced in, in her life's journey. And so she was really calling out leaders for being more empathetic. And so here's what I have to say about our recent guests. If you haven't listened to all of the conversations with them, please go back and give them your time and energy. The episodes are designed to be evergreened and not expire just because someone's not launching a book at that time or whatever. So where do we go from here? I got to say, publishing that article has probably been more cathartic and more healing than I realize right now. And what happens with it from here is really just like anything else out of my hands. Some people have asked me if I've heard anything as a response. And I don't really expect to hear because if, I think I'm a very small fly in a very large bonnet, just like I'm an irritant probably to James Arthur Way because I just don't go away. I'm sure anyone from Nine Perfect Strangers looking at me online and seeing a small following, I can't imagine that they're going to be all too concerned about anything that I have to say. Do I think that's right? Absolutely not. Would I like to see something constructive and positive come out of this? Like actual conversations and opportunities to educate and inform and who knows, maybe even entertain what the journey of a self-help consumer is, a wellness consumer, a seeker, whatever label we want to apply to it. One thing I do know for sure, I know this is with every fiber in my being. I went on my journey in 2008 and 2009. And the context of that was the Great Recession. I didn't realize, I, of course, I knew it at the time because I was consulting in the automotive industry and I was very well aware every single moment of my work life that there was a recession going on. Um, but because of the challenging conditions, it drove me to look to alternative ways of thinking, alternative ways of being, my own history in terms of mental health. And I don't know that I ever got diagnosed with depressions, but, but I took antidepressants for a number of years while I was struggling to fit in corporate life. 
I exited to be a consultant, ran into first the SARS um, outbreak here in Toronto at the very dawn of my company, which was scary. Oh my gosh. And then when I relocated West because I wanted to be in the mountains and pursue my photography alongside whatever I was doing to make money at that time. And then the recession hit and it kept me having to focus on whatever it was I was doing make, to make money at that time, which was namely reorganizing service departments and parts departments in car dealerships, believe it or not. But that's what I did. And, and I had a business that I totally took for granted and that it was 100% referral, no marketing, no online stuff, just reputation and work ethic. And when I shifted over to coaching after we moved back to Toronto, it was because I was tired of that work. There's always a lot of resistance to change. It's very male dominated. It didn't really feel like I could make a dent in the automotive industry. I was really focused on supporting people to do their jobs better, keep their jobs and be more successful. But when I transitioned to coaching and the like diluted, I really hate what's happened to the self-help industry and the wellness industry in the last 10 years. I think it could have gone a completely other way. And I think that the sweat lodge was the missed opportunity. And I think there's reasons for that. I think they all have to do with putting profit over people. I think they have to do with high profile people who are associated with the event. And yeah, Oprah, I'm looking at you. I think that by not coming out and, and doing anything and none of the other leaders in self-help like Tony Robbins, like other um, people from The Secret, like Grant Cardone, who wrote an article in 2009 saying how he knew that something would go wrong after the fact. That's not exactly psychic to come out after the fact and say how you knew better. What has anyone done to actually prevent people from being harmed? There were all kinds of factors that led up to the catastrophe that happened on October 8th, 2009. And while it was like a slow news year at the time, and CNN certainly loved to trot us out and call us a cult and characterize us like this isn't a threat to thousands and thousands, if not millions of people, when bad actors are not responsible and there's no means for recourse. So it looks like all these years later and waking up to my own indoctrination and, and really looking at now, is self-help a cult? That is where I see my conversation going, not exclusively. There still has to be room for joyful topics like creativity and healing because that is part of the journey but i don't think we can ignore this anymore people are continuing to die because of bad actors and i feel somewhat complicit if i keep my mouth shut so i'm going to keep it open and i'm going to keep an open mind and an open heart as i continue in my own way to advocate and to take action by educating informing and sharing stories and hopefully even if it's dark humor at times providing some form or some moments of entertainment as a contrast because none of us including me are the sum total of the worst day of their lives so that feels like a pretty good spot to wrap up i'm laura tucker 
the host of the Free Your Inner Guru podcast, and all kinds of other things. If you haven't seen it online, I have changed my bio. I am no longer calling myself a coach. I am actually calling myself a recovering coach because it's taking some doing to unhook. These are other topics to explore that I have lined up. And so what I have decided to do is to put all of my energy and attention into this podcast, back into my photography, and back into writing. And to understand and appreciate that these things have value in and of of themselves and not just to market this other thing. And uh, that's taken some undoing. And this is the first time that I've spoken about it on here, but the podcast really never was to promote my coaching, even though it was, if part of that content mill in the fake business model of the self-help industry, but it's always been something more. And, and I love that it is becoming something more on the outside. And so this is actually a great opportunity for me to let you know that there are ways that you can support the creation of this podcast. They've been around for a little while. They've been on the side. And uh, when you are supporting the podcast, you're supporting me because somehow, some way I need to make a living. <laughs> and, and some of the ways to do that as a podcaster are to have a Patreon account. So you can go to patreon.com slash free your inner guru. Uh, another way is to have some merchandise. And I have some really cute t-shirts and, and hoodies designed earlier this year and such high quality. I think I have one in every color. I wear them so much. I should take pictures and put them online. But, but they're ready there and they ship free within Canada and the U.S. I've got a good arrangement there. There's no duty cross border either way and it's in Canadian currencies. So if you're American, just think about the 75% to 80%. So if it says $100, which it doesn't, nothing on there is $100, but it's $100 is about $75 American. So that's all good. I might switch it over because we Canadians are a lot more used to shopping in U.S. dollars than the other way around. And uh, the other thing is that I have rebuilt my personal website and, uh, and I've put my photography up for sale and have a newsletter going over there. And that's over at lauratucker.com. The podcast is on its own site at freeyourinnerguru.com. This is an awfully long explanation of all the ways that you can support me, but that's me. I'm a talker. And on that note, thank you for listening to free your inner guru. I'm Laura Tucker, signing off. Until next time.